Hey everyone, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And today is a book episode. About dang time. All about damn books. About damn books. No sports. Thank God. It's been a really weird time for us because we took an accidental one-week break when that winter storm happened. Basically, we finished recording late on Valentine's Day, and a couple hours later, lost power for about two and a half, three days. Yeah. So, yikes. And and sadly, I did not continue reading during that time, but I went more into the role of hunter-gatherer of things, <laughs> of food and wood. We ended up deciding to push the episodes that we had just recorded into the week after they were supposed to come out because we discussed the Super Bowl and all the weird things that happened after the Super Bowl on top of you discussing finishing the Hunger Games. So they were what we called the late episodes. Yes. Now we're back to recording again. You have since read something so we can actually have things to discuss. <laughs> Shy of just book releases. Yeah. But as for book news, I feel like everything that I saw had to do with book-to-movie adaptations or book-to-TV show adaptations. So that's always fun if you like watching those sorts of things. Yeah. We've had four actors that were cast in the Game of Thrones prequel House of Dragons. The show is going to take place during the Civil War that House Targaryen, Targaryen? Targaryen. took part in. I feel like I'm getting slightly better at their name every time we talk about it. Slowly but surely you'll get there. I think in like maybe another month we'll be right on. Yes. The series is tentatively set to air in 2022. So far we've had Steve Toussaint cast as Corliss Valarian. Eve Best has been cast as Princess Rhinus Valerian. Rice Efans will play Otto Hightower, and Sonoya Mizuno will play Mazaria. And man, was that all a mess to say. <laughs> These are four of the more prominent roles in the series, but there are going to be more actors joining the cast within the coming months. I am one of those people that started watching that series and then never got to the end of it, um, which makes me a bad nerd, I'm sure, in some Way, or or are you a lucky nerd because you didn't see whatever the ending was? Well, one of the big complaints about the ending was that the scenes were too dark, and I bought a TV that's capable of handling that, so I'm really not too bothered by that, but I've also heard the plot is kind of like, meh, at the end. Well, because they lost all that they were basing the story on, because he's a slow writer, yeah. and it hadn't come out yet, and they had to finish the movie, or the show. Yeah. Contracts are contracts. They have to be done in a certain amount of time. Unless you're an author, apparently. Yes, and you can take 18 years to write a new book. So far, it's only been a decade. I know, I'm just making a give joke. Him, give him eight more years. Yeah, I don't know that we want to give him eight more years. He's also getting pretty old, and there's supposed to be a book after this, so yikes. But Jenny Han, who is the author of To All the Boys I Loved Before, is having her debut series, The Summer I Turned Pretty, become a series with Amazon. Amazon's doing a lot of stuff right now, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm here and I'm not here for it. Like, he just, they just announced the new Jim Gaffigan stand-up, which, you know, I'm all about. But there's a lot of great TV shows that they're doing as well. But she will be writing the script and acting as executive producer for an eight-episode season. I hadn't heard of this, but apparently this was the first series that she had written 
as an author. And the trilogy follows Isabel Conklin, who spends every summer at a beach house with her friends. She's involved in a love triangle. It's the typical YA contemporary romance stuff that happens, I'm sure. The first book came out in 2009, so I'm sure it's full of tropes and stuff that I would not like at this point, but was probably really popular at the time, and I'm sure it'll be updated for whatever the TV show is going to have. Yeah. But speaking of adaptations, Lupita Nyong'o has a children's book called Solway, which is becoming a Netflix film. It's going to be an animated musical. And the story follows a young girl named Solway who is visited one night by a shooting star and learns the story behind night and day. Interesting. It's a little girl who's concerned about how dark her skin is compared to other people. And so it's a story about self-esteem and seeing your true beauty. According to her, it's based on her own childhood and her struggle with her skin color growing up. Interesting. Yeah. That should be good. Animated series is always always get across more points, I feel like, if you pay attention to them more. Well, and they had a couple of photos from the movie in the article, okay. and it looks like a really cute children's TV show movie. Good. But the big news this past week, the biggest news, at least in my opinion, was that the teaser trailer for Netflix's Shadow and Bone series came out on Friday. So, Shadow and Bone is the first book in the Grisha verse by Lee Bardugo. The first book follows Alina Sartkov, who is a map maker for the Second Army in Ravka. But upon trying to travel across the Shadowfold for the first time, she discovers dormant powers that save her own life and the lives of others. The series is set to premiere on April 23rd on Netflix. But I remember you got home and I'm like, sit down, I have to show this to you. And I thought I had just as cool of news with, like, the Pokemon announcements, but you're like, no. This <laughs> is better. Yeah. And I agree. It was. It was phenomenal. You had actually said after watching that that you wish you had read the books. Yeah, so I understood what was going on a little better in the trailer. But at the same time, I feel like you're going to really enjoy the show. I don't know if you would enjoy the books because they are sort of books of their time. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stuff that, like, you would probably cringe at now. Though I will say, when I read the Grishaverse for the first time last year, or the Shadow and Bone series for the first time last year, I read each of these books in a day, and they're like 400 pages long. I was very invested, even though there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh god, that's bad. (laughs) But this looks really good. I am a little concerned with stuff that's come out about how they're combining... The Shadow and Bone series and the Six of Crows together into the Shadow and Bone TV show because basically they're going to be set at the same time, even though the books are set at different times. So they had to basically give all of the dregs, the Six of Crows, a prequel storyline. But I feel like the Six of Crows duology does an amazing job of laying their foundations for all of these characters before the actual story So I'm hoping it's just taking the sort of like early days of these characters as they were in the books versus trying to come up with something new or different. Yeah. But like these characters from that little teaser trailer are like perfect. They're exactly what I wanted. And like I was a little worried about the general that they have for the second army. He's called something different in the books and... 
I was worried about how they were portraying him because in the books he's this like very dark figure and he's supposed to be and I was worried they were just going to make him like a regular guy but when I was watching the trailer I'm like no this is still the same piece of crap I didn't like in the first one (laughs) so this is perfect like you nailed it on the head well done excellent but like the little shot of jesper shooting his gun and then you have kaz with his crowhead cane and then inej is just perfect and like six of crows i read that before i read the shadow and bone series so like they are my first loves of the grishaverse yeah but still alina was all right mal i never liked as a character so i don't care the general that they put in there is exactly what i pictured So I think this could go really well. And the way that it looks like they're doing the effects for the Shadow Fold are so good. Yeah. So like, can it be April 23rd, please? Right. Grabby hands. Give it to me. Believe it or not, I have a bit of book news. Okay. I don't know if you want to save me for latter or for now, but... We'll go ahead and insert it now since you brought it up. Okay. There's a hotel in Florida that announced a new book butler service to their hotel, which... They are partnering with a local mom-and-pop bookstore in Palm Beach, Florida, where you can dial zero just like you would normally order, like, food to your room. Right. You can order a book to your room, which sounds like a kind of hotel service that you would probably appreciate. Well, I will say one thing. I'm more likely to do that than to order room service. Yes. And what's cool about it is they also have a section of the menu that caters based on what kind of book you order with what they call book bites to come with it. So it comes with food? Yes, you can order food related to whatever book genre you're getting the book of. They bring you food related to the books that they currently have. And if you order from the mystery genre, you'll find out when you open the cloth. Yes, yeah. What's cool about it is because they are there on the beach, the the whole purpose of it is to promote people going to just relax on the beach and enjoy a good book. So you're buying a book through a delivery service that brings you food as well. You don't have to buy the book. The book is basically being provided to you to read as a rotating collection but you can if you like it so far like say you're only there for like two days and you start reading the book which i know it breaks the rules for you because if you're going to get a book like that you're going to read it all the way through you actually have the option to take the book with you and then pay for the book and the money goes to the local mom and pop bookstore so it's like a book rental service more or less yeah okay. it's kind of Dep- like if you borrow like a movie from them or something like that Dep- Depends on the price, whether or not that's going to be worth it. The thing that I think will catch a lot of people is that it comes with food. Yeah. Also, like, I want to know what their selections are, because I don't want to order a YA fantasy and then be given, like, the Hunger Games. Like, (laughs) no thank you. I've already read that a thousand times. So I guess they are regularly updating the list of books on their website. So while you're there, you actively see what is available all the time. So um, you don't have to go, I just want a mystery. You can go, you can I want this pick, specific yes, mystery. Yeah, exactly. Nice, nice. They'll deliver the new complimentary copy of that book as well as a custom designed tassel bookmark with Fancy. it. Yeah. This also feels a little bougie. Like, why can't I just walk down to the bookstore and pick up this book? So it is at the Ben West Palm, which is an autograph collection hotel, which is like bougie. A, a little bougie. But I'm like, for like one night, or like if you stayed for like a day or two days, like it would be kind of a cool experience to try out. Like, right. you know, as well, it'd be pretty cool to have a book butler. <laughs> be like, I, I'm sorry, I would take selfies with the book butler. <laughs> be like, look at my book butler, guys. He brought me a book and snacks. 
Does it come on a little tray? The picture literally has a butler with a tray holding the books that you asked for. And Hold he up, brings them see. up to you. So it's it seemed like it would be a pretty cool experience just to try out. Like, if anything, you're not committed to owning the book. You're just getting it to read. I've only heard of one of these books on the train. It's The Vanishing Half. But, I mean, that's adding some diversity, I guess. So that's good. Yeah. I just think it's cool that the hotel came up with something creative like that and is helping a local mom-and-pop bookstore. I think that's that's great, you know. I more hotels should do should, it. I think there should be more bookish-related things at hotels and stuff like that. So you're probably right. I just thought it was a cool little thing that I stumbled upon, so I just figured, you know. Will I take a trip there specifically to use this? No. I almost would if you willing <laughs> just to try it because I think it's really, really cool, but I don't know. It's just... It was weird. And what really bothered me about it was written by Fox News. And I'm like, why couldn't have somebody else written this article? But I, I still think it's cool. So kudos. Was it during a time when Fox wanted to distract from events happening politically? Because that could have been why that was an article. I don't think that would have brought it to the forefront of book news related searches. But mm. yeah, still pretty cool stuff. I have two last bits of book news. So apparently the popularity of Netflix's original TV series is actually uplifting a lot of books that they're based on and giving them a new life on the bestseller charts. So the latest examples of this are Bridgerton, The Queen's Gambit, and Firefly Lane. So you've heard of Bridgerton. Everyone's heard of Bridgerton. Yes. It became one of Netflix's most popular series and attracted 82 million viewers in four weeks. After it debuted in December, the first book in the series, The Duke and I, was number one on the Times chart for four weeks after this debuted. Recently, all five of the Bridgerton novels were on the bestseller list at the same time. Wowzers. That's bananas. I'm I'm not shocked because the popularity on Netflix is... I bought The Old Guard because I liked the movie. So, like, I am one of these people, just not for Bridgerton. Yes, yeah. But recently, they also had, or somewhat recently, had 62 million viewers for The Queen's Gambit, which was based on the 1983 novel by Walter Tevis. It first made the bestseller list three weeks after its Netflix debut and went on an 11-week run in the top 10. And this one... It's kind of funny because it happened before the adaptation appeared. Firefly Lane by Kristen Hanna made the top 10 list one month before the adaptation premiered. And it hit the top of the list three days after its Netflix debut. So, like, if Netflix is going to make your thing into a show or a movie, it's going to get back on the bestseller list, most likely. Pretty impressive, to be completely honest. Right? Yeah. I mean, it helps that, you know, Netflix does such good adaptations. And, like, even if it's not true enough to the books, it's done well enough to kind of make up for it. Right. With, like, lighting and cameras and directing and things. CGI. Right. And then this last bit of news I added because I thought you would be interested in it, but I'm absolutely not. I don't care. <laughs> okay. So, Willie Nelson announced a new book on top of his latest album release. Boy, you read that one wrong. <laughs> you like weird music, people, sometimes. I don't like Willie Nelson. The book Willie Nelson's Letters to America was written with his friend Turk Pipkin. Yeah. And is set to be published on June 29th. The press release says the book is 
a collection of intimate letters reminding readers of the endless promise and continuous obligations of all Americans to themselves, to one another, and to their nation to stand with unity, resolve, and faith. Which sounds like a Republican got put into a blender and shot out. Yeah, this one's definitely not my up now. <laughs> we'll clarify this really quick. I do listen to weird things, but I do not listen to Willie Nelson for many reasons. And just the way the book is described, not for me, I can tell you with certainty. The book comes out less than a year after the September 2020 release of Me and Sister Bobby. I don't even know what that is. It's... So. Stories of the family band that he shared with his sister. Gotcha. In Letters to America, he reflects on the country's history and considers its future. Yes, because nothing like a pot-headed Republican to tell you about the future of America. But I thought it was weird, but apparently he's written multiple books now. He has, yeah. That's so weird to me. I do know that much. Do you just stay at home writing and smoking weed all day? And playing music. Apparently. And then for the tag section of this one, I decided to kind of make my own because it's so hard to come up with a tag when you've I'm read sorry. very few books. I mean, we're, we're in the market right now to be looking at new equipment so that maybe we can get you a co-host that would actually be able to do tags with you. Uh, so <laughs> Just call one of my friends, do the tag, and then be like, thanks, bye. <laughs> yeah. But I just came up with like 15 questions. Yeah. And I called it the get to know the podcasters tag. Interesting. So the first one is what is your favorite snack? Ooh, that's a tough one. Like if we're if we're talking like candy snack, I'm definitely going Rolos 100% of the time. The sad thing is I cannot eat them right now. So You can't eat a lot of your favorite things right now. Yeah, it's it's due to your braces. It's it's sad. But like if you put a bag of Rolos in front of me, I could probably eat them in one sitting. So I'm going to go Rolos. I've seen you do that. It's no probably about it. (laughs) I said if I'm in the mood for something sweet or sour, I prefer the strawberry sour patches. So it's not, it's the Sour Patch Kid brand, but they're shaped like strawberries. Yeah. They're really good. Yes, they are. Also something I can't eat. (laughs) Yes. And I said if I'm in the mood for something salty, I like pretzel chips with a little bit of cheese. Yeah. I feel like that's more of a snack than Sour Patch Kid stuff. Yes, probably so. Second question is, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? That's gotten tougher over the years. The more we've traveled, the more I am like, you know, if this ever turns into a thing, there are places we could live that wouldn't be the United States. Here's the thing. I, after visiting Paris, would never want to live in Paris. Agreed. And, like, I think a lot of people who move to Paris out of the U.S. are, like, having some sort of different vision of Paris in their head. Because I don't think that's a very livable city unless you're living, like, on the outskirts of the city. I would kind of disagree with you there, but it's, like, the history there would be the only thing that attracts me to stay there. Like, the food is phenomenal. It, it's, it is very mixed when it comes to groups of foods that exist. Like, I think based off, like, the tourists and just, like, livability of where we were staying when we visited Paris, I could never, because it's way too many people, it's way too crowded, especially, like... If I ever get over the COVID panic what's, that I have. What's funny is where we stayed is roughly where a lot of university students stay. It's just also centrally located to everything else. Historical stuff. Yeah. yeah. And like if you compare it to where we went less than a year later, 
in Munich. Munich is a much more livable city, in my opinion. Yeah, I can agree with that. The history, not as nice as Paris, but the city itself, everything was walkable. You had markets in almost every direction you'd turn around, which Paris has as well. But it just, it seemed like everything was roughly within walking distance. And like, if you had to take the train to go somewhere, it's because you wanted to go somewhere further away than you really needed to go. It wasn't every time you're walking out the door, you have to take the subway or whatever. Right. Which in Paris, if like you want to get around in a timely manner, you either have a bike or you ride the the subway. So. But I said maybe the UK, but I've never visited there. So I can't like say that for sure. I just have this idea from like all our TV shows and movies that we watch in the US. So that's where it kind of comes down to. I'm between Munich and Edinburgh. And the only reason being is my experience with Edinburgh is something that I don't know that I could ever fight permanently. And if I had the option to live there, I would probably take it faster than I would move anywhere else in the world. Right. Being that I haven't gone there. Yeah. Let's not just up and move there without me visiting. Edinburgh would be my choice, though, if I had to pick one. That is in the UK, so that is fitting with my answer. Yes. What is your favorite sport to watch? That's really a question for you because we all know my answer. Uh, Well, for you, it's hockey. It's not a tough decision. For me, it's a little more complicated just because I would say soccer in more recent years has really, really grown on me when it comes to the international level of it. And I think it may take it for me just because I love the excitement level and the just there's just so many different strategies you can play it with whereas I feel like other sports it's really not that level the other day we had a team in the Europa League who played with six defenders it's like that type of crap never happens well and they won the game doing it and it's like what well you also have to consider with hockey that you can have more of these like weird position shuffles whenever you're not in like a normal situation so when it's five on five you're gonna have three and two that's just how it is but when it comes down to overtime you get to play with like how many defensemen how many do you want to have playing in like a center or forward position so you can have more weird stuff like that or when you're on the pk stuff like that yeah but those are situational changes of strategy whereas this is like the strategy for the game you know and i think it's great I just love, you know, false nines and all sorts of situations that you just don't get in other sports, I feel like. But I don't know. My answer is soccer. I'm going to go soccer. International soccer. Could you have in baseball two third basemen and a shortstop and no one on second? It's called a shift. And yes, they do do that in the major leagues. The people are still technically titled their position, but like legitimately I've seen for like lefties that pull the ball naturally like 90% of the time you have the third baseman playing about where the shortstop is in the middle on the left hand side of the field as you're looking at it from the batter's position and on the right hand side of the field it's literally just like littered with people so like you have the shortstop the second baseman first baseman and the outfielders sometimes will come in the center fielder will shift over it's just like so there is strategy to it so yes that was a joke so moving on yeah we're not supposed to be talking about sports agreed 
if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Oof. And I know the the, the expected answer would be something like Chicago deep dish pizza, but having lived in no. Southern California so long, street tacos, I can't go without them. You can't eat Chicago deep dish pizza every meal. You're going to end up a thousand pounds and sick to your stomach every day. Well, you would with street tacos too, though, let's be honest. But the... How many street tacos are you eating? Well, if you're <laughs> properly eating them, at least four. <laughs> but... The nice thing about that is you could change up like the meats and spices and flavors and things. And I think that would be the saving grace for it. I said Mexican food because I can eat Mexican food for every meal already. So like that would not be a big change. I think the funny thing about that is when you move to California, I think that swayed even further in the direction that you normally were. Like probably you already liked Mexican food. I know this because when we were dating, we ate a lot of Mexican food, but I feel like it, when you started like having real spices instead of Taco Bell mild sauce. Right. Uh, and let's be honest, something other than Taco Bell, you had real Mexican food. So, well, I've had real Mexican food before I moved to Southern California. It's just the spice level is so vastly different. And I remember moving to California and like you handed me like a mild at um, a the local shop. the local place in San Diego that everyone goes to. Yeah. Coyote. Yeah, Cafe Coyote, yeah. And you were like, wow. I was like, this is so effing spicy. I wanted the mild. And you're like, that is the mild. That is the mild, (laughs) yeah. And now, after living there for four years, we have pretty much swapped places as far as how much spice we can handle. Like, I'm still a medium guy. I always kind of have been. I've never been the spicy guy. But, like, you have gone from, like, Taco Bell mild, which is just water, (laughs) to legitimate, like, spicy taco sauces. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. But basically, that is all to say, any kind of Mexican food, take your pick. I can eat it all day, every day. It's a safe bet, yeah. Would you rather vacation in Hawaii or Alaska? This is an easy one for me because I've been to both. I enjoyed... Rude, I have not been to either. I've been to Hawaii, but as a kid, I think I would probably be more in Hawaii. But as an adult, I think Alaska would be my choice. I wouldn't want to be there in the wintertime. So, like, if I had to pick year-round, Hawaii is the natural pick. But they have volcanoes. So, you know, maybe it's not really a... Each one has their downsides. Yeah, I would pick Alaska, though, because I'm more of a mountain nature guy than I am a beach person, as you know, so... That was kind of my answer. I said Alaska because I don't like beaches. Like, we lived in San Diego for four years, and we've gone to the beach maybe four times total in four years. Yeah. So, and each of those is like, oh, I want to go take photos of the dogs playing at that dog beach. And so we went to do that. (laughs) Or like beach bonfires, yeah. And so it's like never for actually being at the beach. It's always for something else and it happens on the beach. Yeah. Honestly, growing up a number of years, like, let's be honest, almost all years of my life in San Diego, beaches, again, were great as a kid. I enjoyed them, but I'm not by any means a surf bum who wants to be on the beach all day long. And what's really funny about that is like growing up, I wanted to learn how to surf for some reason, probably because I lived in the middle of America and like nothing was happening. Yeah. But now that I've been to a beach more than once, I'm like, nah, I don't like this place. Put me in the mountains around some trees. I'm good. What form of public transportation is your favorite? Ferries, boats, buses, planes, subways? I'm a plane guy and I don't understand really why. Like, I like subways. I think it's a fast way to get around. And if we lived in Edinburgh, probably the way we would travel um, by trains. But no, planes, planes is the way to go. I said planes because then I'm actually going somewhere and don't we all miss going somewhere? Yeah. 
But at the same time, you said something about trains, and I just thought of when we went in our trip to Munich on that day trip to go to uh, Nisfrunstein Castle, and we were on that train ride two hours out of the city, and it was just to the German gorgeous. Alps. Yeah. yeah, absolutely gorgeous. So I like the views outside of trains, but planes take you further. Yes and no. Technically, trains can take you mostly as far, as long as you're not flying across oceans. But yeah, I I can agree with that. I, I like the views from the trains better, but the time commute of the planes. <laughs> right. What is your favorite zoo animal? Uh, that's changed over the years. Like as a kid, it, it used to be penguins. And why not? They're amazing. Um, right now, though, I, like, I'm still so fascinated with birds of prey. So, like, we have these buzzards here that, like, just hang out on these electric poles. And I remember seeing them in California in zoos and being like, oh, they're just here. But I'm realizing they are a crucial piece of, you know, the environment. Without them, things just lay and rot. So, right. you know, it's kind of important to have them around. I like penguins a lot. I think I like them more, though, outside the zoo. Because anytime you go into their inhabitats in zoos, it's always very smelly. Yeah. Because penguins poop a lot. Yes. Yeah. Everywhere. They'll yeah. just be standing there. And even in the water while they're swimming. But I also really enjoy giraffes and monkeys. Yeah. So those are probably my top three. <laughs> I didn't know it was a top three question. It's not, but <laughs> there they are. Got it. I've also hand-fed giraffes multiple times, so I feel like I've bonded to them a little bit more. Yeah. One tried to eat my hair once, so that was great. Yeah. What is your favorite beverage? And I put any kind, so that you don't have to ask, is it this or is it this? Any kind of beverage, whatever it is. What's your favorite? All-time favorite. I am a big cream soda person, and I know that makes me a little weird in the world of, like, beverages. But, like, if it's a cream soda of any variety, I'm probably on board. Gross. Mine is chai tea. Yeah. What's funny is it's got to be from only Starbucks in most instances. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. I also like hot chocolate a lot. That used to be my favorite drink, like, from the time I was, like, three until, like, two years ago. Yeah. Do you love or hate roller coasters? Uh, This is a tough one because I love, like, old wooden roller coasters. I do not like new modern roller coasters. What is wrong with you? And I will tell you the only reason being is I get really bad motion sickness, so corkscrews and flips and things really jack me up like legit if i went on one of the new ones and did like three corkscrews on it i wouldn't be able to go on a roller coaster all day without emptying my stomach so the old wooden roller coasters are the only way to go in my mind what's funny is the time that we went to like universal and we were on all the actually like super new stuff and it was all like visual effects yeah stuff motion that they simulation were doing. yeah and those things made me sick to my stomach every single time. Yeah. But, like, I love roller coasters. And up until, like, eighth grade, I hated them. Yeah. But then I went with my friend and her family. And for some reason, we decided we were going to ride every single roller coaster, despite the fact that I hated roller coasters. And by the end of the day, I loved them. Yeah. So if you're afraid of roller coasters, just ride them all day and you'll be fine. It's not true. <laughs> That's how it worked for me. Well, what do thing. you mean? Like, I'm not afraid of them. I just, like, I get sick. And that's, right. that's that's the issue I have with it. So, Is there anything you wish would come back into fashion? I think it's already kind of back in fashion, but, like, those 
old uh like windbreaker style like multicolored like oh, 80s God. style what jackets is wrong with you? i think they're really cool they're uh, not they're really really not I'm, I'm blanking on the name of them right now which is bad but vomit i will it's called vomit i'll tweet them out i think it's like starter jackets or something like that is what they were called or something along those i can lines. picture what you're talking about perfectly and, and i'll tweet it out later just so that like it's there but yeah i i don't know i always liked them i thought they were pretty cool I always wanted one as a kid, like like a Bulls one or something like that. But That's so dumb. Yeah. I said anything from the 90s, though, so I don't know that I'm any better than you. I said, but I particularly want to get rid of skinny jeans. I'm 30 years old. I don't need nor do I want skinny jeans in my life. <laughs> also, I've always had, like, bigger calves. So, like, skinny jeans have never really worked on me to begin with. Yeah. But, like, that... Yeah, that's exactly what I pictured. God, why? You're so weird. It's got a little flappy pocket on the front. It's great. You're ready to be a dad, I can tell. (laughs) If you were to come with a warning, what would it say? A warning? Yes. Caution has ADD, forgets things. I feel like that's a fair warning. I said, do not open dead inside. Wow. (laughs) That got dark really quick. I don't know. Probably that I'm emotional or something. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like you could come up with a lot for me. (laughs) And vice versa, I feel like. How funny do you think you are on a scale of one to ten? So, (laughs) I'm going to say like a six because I'm being honest. Okay. Like if if you asked me that question and you didn't expect an honest answer, I'd say like an eight. Hmm. But I'm going to say six because I feel like sometimes I say really funny things and the problem is... Is it's usually when I'm not trying to filter the joke that it's funnier. Like when I just say it, like just off the cuff, it's perfect on timing. But when I actually try to think of a joke, it's either far too late to be said. And that's maybe a combination of the ADD a little bit. Or it's just not as funny, you know, as I thought it would be. So if it's immediate, you'll know it's funny. I said easily an eight. Easily. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're overselling your your comedic value a little bit. Excuse me. Yeah. No. Easily. Easily in it. Yeah. What TV family most reminds you of your own family? Boy, I wish I would have known this question was coming. I don't know that I... If you can't come up with one. I don't know that I have an immediate answer. Maybe I'll tweet this one out to you at some point later in the week. But I don't don't know. I don't have one right off off the cuff. I think this one was so easy for me because it's like almost exactly my family, except for there's a brother involved. I say Gilmore Girls, kind of, Yeah. but I have an older brother, so it would be like Rory having an older brother. Your mom does have that kind of wit and humor that like fits that almost perfectly for like... Well, and like my grandma is like snarky, like Emily is, yeah. and like she's also very blunt yeah. the way Emily is, Yeah. so yeah, that's very... Half the time you don't even get goodbyes. It's more of like, love you, click. Yes. Yeah. Also, my mom was kind of my best friend growing up, and she has a similar relationship there. Yeah. What is your biggest fear? And originally, the place I got this question from said irrational fear, but I erased that because mine is real for sure. Yeah. I guess mine's more of like a fear of heights, as you know. Like, we did the Sears Tower thing, and... You didn't want to go in the box. Yeah, I nearly blacked out stepping into the box, not even looking down. Yeah. (laughs) It felt wrong. Gravity should not have supported me. (laughs) And uh, I should have been a squashed bug at the bottom of the street. I just... mm, Heights. It's always been a problem for me. I 
like when I'm in like gondolas or whatever, when I go snowboarding or skiing, it's not a problem, which is weird because you think it would be. But just knowing that there's an actual mechanical piece rather than just a piece of glass supporting me, I feel like is enough to make me feel comfortable with it. I don't know. You're so weird. I've got a weird brain when it comes to heights, but. I said, I have the usual fears, snakes, abandonment, the usual. Snakes, spiders, bugs of any variety and size. I'm not afraid of bugs. They're just gross. Yeah. I'm not afraid of them. I'm much bigger than them. Yeah. And the last question is, what's something you wish you had done before COVID struck? Traveled more. Um, that was my answer. I I would have liked to have gone to a couple more hockey games in a that couple different cities. That was also part of my answer. So I feel like I didn't go and see as much sports things as I normally do in a year. Mm-hmm. And I think that in turn just, it, it's the one thing I miss. And I know that you've been trying to get me to go see a hockey game by myself or with a friend or something like that, but it's just, I I don't want to ditch you to go do something. Basically what I told you is if you want to go so badly, you can, but don't expect me to go with you right now because my health is already like damaged. I don't need to go make it worse. But I also said I wish I had gone to more hockey games and I wish that I had traveled more. But what's funny is in the first like nine weeks of the year we had gone to rome gone to two hockey games so it's like we had traveled we had gone to hockey games but we've been without it for so long it's like i wish i had been doing way more before 2020 yeah this week we will come up on one year of no sports for us yeah yeah so it's it's definitely something that i miss yeah for sure and like honestly when we travel i miss going to like those little bookstores and stuff like that i feel like those are always fun too so yeah But that was the tag. And you were able to answer all the questions. Yeah, because they were very catered to me. You're welcome. Yeah. As for what I've been reading, the first thing that I read in this two-week period was a net galley art called Villainous by Stoney Williams and Jeff Sudzinski. Sudzinski? It releases on May 4th. It is a superhero-style comic. This is a bind-up of comics one through five, so the other five or all five of them have already come out technically, but they were just in a bind up. I rated it 3.25 stars. It's about a girl named Tilly who joins the coalition of heroes to work alongside people she's looked up to for years. But when she discovers that things might not be as goody two shoes as they seem, she'll have to stand by while the darkest acts happen or become something a little more villainous. Sounds interesting. And basically my problem with this was how short it was, how quickly all the events happened and there wasn't enough exposition about the world the world building that sort of thing part of that is just the way comic books work part of that is actual like problems with the story and how it's set up and how it's paced the art style was pretty good some of the action was a little hard to read but that might be a me thing and not a comic thing because this is the third comic i've said this about on the podcast so might just be me and comics aren't the perfect match made in heaven right And then I started to read one of the books from my read it or leave it of the year, but I DNF'd it after one day. I had gotten 106 pages into The Little Paris Bookshop by Nina George, and with everything that happened, like, I was in such a bad mood, and we had no power, and I was forcing myself to read this book that I didn't enjoy, that I decided to give myself a break. Yeah. And so... 
I stopped reading it, and I'm really glad I did because it's literary fiction. I already knew I probably wasn't going to like it, but then the story itself is actually just, like, in my opinion, so bad that it wasn't going to be above, like, a 2.5 star for me anyway. I'm going to come to your defense on this one because I had to coerce you to not read it. Well, yeah. Just to clarify, like, Liberty is the anti- against everything DNFing person I've ever met in my life. And I was just like, you just are upset every time you put the book down. And I'm like, it's not healthy. You put it down permanently, please. Well, plus all that was going on. So I decided to cut myself a break and pick up a book I really did want to read. Right. So I picked up Because You Love to Hate Me. This is an anthology by several authors. It's backlist from 2017. So it's actually kind of older than I thought it was. But these are all stories about villains. Hmm. And basically, people who are popular in the booktornet, the book community online. It's the internet. Have, Stop calling it booktornet. They have given prompts to 13 authors about villain stories, and then the author has to fulfill the prompt. I rated it 3.4 stars on average. Just I rated each story individually and then averaged it out. My favorite stories were Shirley and Jim by Susan Dennard, which I rated 4.5 stars, and Death Knell by Victoria Schwab, which I also rated 4.5 stars. It was a good distraction on the days when we didn't have power. It was really cold and you were just like, I'm staying in bed all day long. Yeah. And then I reread Fable by Adrian Young. Technically, it can still be called a new release because it came out in the fall of 2020. I rated it 4.25 stars. It's about a girl named Fable whose father is the greatest traitor in the Narrows, but is abandoned on a deserted island and told she will receive her inheritance and her place with him on his ship when she can make her way off the island and find him. But then obviously things happen outside of that. No, really? Gotta be something going on. And the next book comes out next month. It's going to be the finale of the duology. So I just wanted to get prepared for that. That makes sense. And then the last thing I read was Catching Fire by Suzanne Collins, a backlist from 2009. It's a dystopian. I rated it four stars. It's basically the fallout from what happened in book one, as well as a crackdown in the districts and Katniss being told she's going to go back into the Hunger Games. Yeah. And that's as far as I can really describe the book because you really haven't gotten further in the plot than that. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. So. Yeah. But I read that to discuss on the podcast, so we'll do that later. As for what I plan on reading next, it's going to sound like a lot. It's going to sound like I'm really doing bad because of my whole don't read more than two things a week. But a lot of the things I'm going to be reading are short. So technically I started this last week. I'm going to finish it today after we finish recording, and it's Downworld by Rebecca Phelps. This is another NetGalley arc. It releases on March 30th, so I want to get that done before it comes out, obviously. Yeah. It's currently available for pre-order. It is a YA sci-fi slash fantasy-ish book. A girl's brother died three years ago, and now her new school, where parallel universes are an open secret, she might find the answer she's looking for about his death. And I only have like 50 pages left, so I'm going to finish that today. And then I'm going to pick up a book I got as a gift from your mother. I'm sorry. <laughs> this one is actually probably the one I'm going to enjoy out of all the three the she gave us. Yeah. It's called The Vacationers by Emma Straub. 
It's backlist from 2014, so it's a little old, but it's not, like, too bad. It seems like it'll be a literary fiction. It's about an extended family that goes on vacation for two weeks and all the family secrets start coming out. Interesting. Right? Sounds like it could be full of some drama. And it seems more up my alley than the one that I just DNF'd. So despite the fact that it's literary fiction, I'm actually more interested in this one. Yeah. But that's less than 300 pages. So even though I'm going to finish two things very early in the week, that's less than 350 pages. Yeah. And then I'm going to read a novella, which is All Systems Read by Martha Wells. This is going to be a reread for me before the latest book in the Murderbot Diaries comes out this summer. Or I guess it's spring, not summer. It's a backlist from 2017 and a sci-fi. Basically, a security unit has been contracted to help a group of scientists and to keep any danger from befalling them. It wouldn't be such a bad job if the humans weren't so stupid. Murderbot just wants to watch their serials and instead has to keep these humans alive. Yeah. And it's less than 200 pages, so. Still, the page count for the week is really low at this point. So I added that I'm going to start my reread of the Witchland series by Susan Dennard by reading Truth Witch. I probably actually won't finish reading it this week, but I'll read probably a good 100 or 200 pages, depending on how much time I have. But the next book comes out this summer. It is a YA fantasy, and I'm just going to read a sentence from the Goodreads synopsis. In a continent on the edge of war, two witches hold its fate in their hands. Because I feel like trying to explain it any more than that gets a little convoluted because it starts out that way and it kind of deviates in a couple different directions as the series goes on. But that is the overarching like plot of the series. Gotcha. But even if I finish that book, read these two other things, start another book, I'm still going to be less than a thousand pages for the week, which that's usually about what I hit every week. So it's not like I'm reading what feels like excessively it's just it's in more stuff gotcha so smaller things i guess i could say yeah but you have read half of catching fire now that we're not freezing to death yeah i wish the wood would have caught fire it did it just took a long time but it was a good book so far character development wise i feel like you're getting more of like the strife between the love triangle that is gail katniss and Peta. like yeah. you're seeing a way more of it and well because gail wasn't actually in like most of hunger games book yeah she just thinks about him every now and again in the right. hunger games book um and so it's definitely getting more government abusive like even more than it was in the first book like more authoritarian yeah that's the word i was looking for you're welcome good thing i have a dictionary of a wife you know that can find all the words for me it's definitely increased in the volatility of what's going on in the world of pan am very quickly i feel like it's more of a pressure cooker situation than the first one was and like it feels like the stakes are higher Despite the fact that Katniss was literally fighting for her life in the Hunger Games because now with President Snow telling her to basically get all this stuff handled or everyone's at stake. Yeah. Now it's everyone in her life is at risk. risk. And so it's it's much worse for her, I feel. Yeah, instead of it just being herself, now it's literally everyone. And so, like, it's tough. Obviously, like, you have the new peacekeeping troops that come in with Thread. He is, like, beating everybody up as well. 
Well, if you start back at the beginning, you're basically told that this is the way Katniss's life has been since the Hunger Games, and now about halfway through the year between the games, she is getting ready and going on all of these little visits around the districts to remind everyone, basically, the games are coming back. Yeah. Basically, she is under threat, told to perform, and if she doesn't, everyone she loves is going to die. And so this is, like, really sort of traumatic for her as she's going through this because, like, she's doing as much as she can and sees that it's really not doing much of anything at all. And especially with their visit in District 11, she actually sees someone die for their act of rebellion while she's there. An old man, no less. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the peacekeepers turn on them and Peter like steps in and is like, no, 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 let's go. Come on, come on, come on. Hurry, 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 hurry. Like, we're not supposed to be seeing the things that are going on out here. And you start to see Peter start to like click the, wow, this rebellion thing may happen. And you kind of see him go from like, I don't know, just PETA being kind of oblivious to the world to now paying attention to it. Well, and, you know, this is such a different, like, start of the story than I think a lot of people were expecting whenever picking up Catching Fire because, like, you have them being the victors and having to go through all of this. And then, you know, like you said, PETA has to, like, dial in his focus more now that he knows something's happening. It's a little more affirming of, like, their relationship once everyone opens up to him about what's happened and what they need to do, and they're more of a team. I like seeing their bond get better after what happened with the first book because their relationship was so fractured following him finding out that maybe she's not being real about her emotions and everything. Yeah. Well, the reality is she's kind of trapped in the middle and doesn't really... Like, she's leaning more towards Gale, but, like, you know, you're starting to see the actual bonds. And the question for him is how much is being faked. Yeah, but I think the thing that really, like, dials home, like, how together they are in their situation is when they are at that big party. Like, they just did their fake engagement. Yeah. And they're at that party in the capital to celebrate. And you have the manner that it's being done in surrounded with a bunch of food. First of all, they're coming from a starving district, so that's a lot anyway. But then you find out from her prep team that people are intentionally making themselves vomit so they can eat, eat more. more food. Yeah. And then you have this moment of them being like utterly disgusted. It's like a level of gluttony and greed that just they can't comprehend other than seeing it in person so yeah and so then they're dancing together in the president's manner and i feel like that's probably one of the moments where you really see their bond and i feel like i don't think she was leaning towards anyone yeah i feel like she had a history with gail and she whatever she has with Peta is way newer but I don't feel like she was leaning one way or the other because in my head, she's arrow ace. So like asexual, aromantic. And so like, in my opinion, they're trying to get her to choose. And she's like, I don't want to choose. I don't have a choice to make in my opinion. I can see that. And 
like from Peter's position, it looks like she's in love with Gail, and from Gail's position, it looks like she's in love with Peter. And the two of them are like, "We just don't understand." And yeah. she's like, "I don't either." If it makes you feel any better. But I think the fact that you've got the country trying to pressure her into being in this happy romantic relationship with Peter, and the president trying to enforce that, and then just Peter and Gail wanting her to, like. They're not really pressuring her to make a choice, but they want her to make a choice. And she knows they want her to. She just doesn't want to make a choice. Yeah, like later in the bits that I read, the two of them are like getting along for whatever the motivation is. Like they're working out together and helping each other and doing all these things. So it was just like, when I saw that, I was like, there's peace in the world for just a moment, you know? But that choice getting stripped away from her is really where her sort of like internal crisis comes from yeah and so when they get engaged for show and she has to deal with you know my future is taken away from me my choices are taking taken away from me it's not even that she's like upset about losing gail specifically yeah so i thought that was interesting definitely But when they're on their last visit of that tour, District 12, they're in Mayor Undersea's house for their dinner that they're doing. And she finds out that through some intelligence she shouldn't have gotten, there has been uprisings. There was one in eight while in District 8 while she was at this dinner. Yeah. And later on, she discovers that this is... A real thing that's happening. Yeah. And there are all sorts of restrictions and things that come into place because of that. You have, like you said, all those peacekeepers coming in and the new head peacekeeper thread, Romulus thread, and him whipping Gale, which was hard to read. Yeah. Over a turkey, which is technically everything animal-wise is government property, supposedly, is, like, the the big issue with it, right? More so than anything. Well, they were poaching off government land, is, I believe, the way they word it. Yeah. And, you know, she steps in front of one of the whipping attempts and takes one to the face, which... I cannot imagine. Yeah, and then immediately Peter's like, whoa, 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 everybody. Well, Hamish steps in and is like, can't you tell this is a tribute? Why are you doing this to her? And, like... Literally, she says that Hamish, Peta, and herself are probably the only three people who can stand up to him. Well, yeah, in the entire district, yeah. With all these new things in place, all of a sudden, this whole idea that Katniss had that maybe 12 could rebel and they could deal with this threat or whatever is sort of laughed out of existence because as soon as the stockades go up, they start hiding in their homes and... Yeah, people aren't even coming out in the streets unless they're, like, going to work and that's it. Yeah. But you're gonna have to help me out here because I don't remember exactly where you stopped. So roughly where I stopped was they were on the train going back to compete in the next, the the quarter quell, the 75th anniversary of the Hunger Games. So that's roughly where I left off. They just finished watching uh, Hey Mitch's uh, games games, and then realized like we knew he was smart but dang like he was really smart and and so like well I feel like I appreciated him more given knowing that the games that he won it was a hundred percent more people fighters and it's like four from every district. I could not imagine 
And then on top of that, the land that they were in were not conducive to anything. Yeah. So it made me appreciate Hamish more because the way you see him in the first book is he's just this drunkard that can't do his job. Yeah. And then you start to realize like, yeah, his brain is jacked up because of the things he did during it. But before all that, we have what is basically Katniss's punishment for not being able to deal with all the uprisings that were happening. And let's be honest, she was never going to be able to, like, squash it anyway. But the punishment basically came in the form of the card reading and the announcement for the 75th anniversary, which basically said Katniss is going back into the Hunger Games. Yeah. One male and one female from each district's pool of victors is going back into the games. Which, with District 12, left two males and her as the only female. So, yeah. like, it immediately was like, well, you're going whether you like it or not. My thing is, I question, like, I know that it was put in there for her. And, like, oh, that was 100%. the whole point. My question is, but what if there was a district that didn't have a male or female victor? Because all of them did, as we saw. Yeah, and then you had, like, instances where older women were taking, a sh- like, one for the team for the people that were younger, yeah. you know, in situations and stuff like that. Like, I'm about to die anyways, I might as well just do it here. Yeah. Like. And so they start training after Katniss freaks out and drinks and gets hungover, does her... That was a funny scene, I feel like. That was bit. a funny yeah. scene. But PETA basically dumps all the alcohol and goes, we're careers now, we're going to train like careers. Yeah. And that's when he teams up with Gail, like you were saying, and like they're working on snares and they're working on knife throwing and being able to run and lift things so they're in better shape when the games actually come around. Yeah. But the thing here is that Haymitch has made a deal with both Katniss and PETA saying, I will help you get the other person to survive the Hunger Games. Yeah. But when Haymitch is reaped in the reaping, PETA steps into his place and that's when Katniss is like, no, 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 no. You teamed up with me to try to get me to survive the Hunger Games the first time. Now we're saving him. Yeah. He's too nice. We can't let him be the one that dies. He deserves it. Yeah. And like, when I saw that, I was like, that's very humble of you. But at the same time, it's like, are you dumb? You still want to live through this. Like, but based on the fact that, I don't know. What went through my mind when I saw that happen was, you've got to understand, if you're the symbol of the revolution, people are probably from other groups less likely to want to kill you. But at the same time, everybody's competing to stay alive. So it's kind of like, it could go either way. I mean, everyone has their survival instincts. Yeah. But at the same time, I can understand her line of thinking of like, I would be terrible at trying to lead a revolution. (laughs) What the hell is happening? It would be better if I was killed so I could be a martyr and a symbol for the revolution. And then PETA, who is good at speaking, can use his pretty words and his pretty paintings in order to try to sway people onto his side. Yeah, but... It's a lot more character development in this book, I feel like, than you had in the previous one, which is more action-based, and I'm, I'm enjoying that, honestly. That's good. Which is weird for me to say as somebody who loves action books, so... Knowing what I know about the rest of the book, I just... There's a lot I could say here that I won't say yeah. here. So, um, I will be reading the second half... Next week. Next week, and I'm excited for it. I'm really curious how you're going to feel about the pacing of this one but also i'm very curious about how you're going to feel about the third book yeah because people either love it or hate it given how the first two books go yeah 
Well, the good news is we're not going to get answers for that right away. <laughs> um, because I still have to finish the second book to make decisions about third books. Right. I think that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Well, I feel like I can't get too into it because you're not very... Well, you're halfway through the book. I was going to say you're not very far, but you're halfway. Yeah, but we will catch you next Tuesday for a sports episode. And during the rest of the week, hopefully some more Instagram and Twitter posts will be occurring to keep you in the loop as to what we have going on and what the sports and book world has going on. Yeah, so make sure you're checking out all of our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. Via our new handy Linktree link. Super excited about that. And we will catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.